Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe, Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois, and by The Barrel Club in Oak Lawn. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome into the latest installment of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, as always, is the one and only pride and joy of Homewood, Illinois, Jay Zawaski of 670 The Score. Jay, during the offseason, it felt like it was forever that we went without the Blackhawks playing, and now we are on day three without Blackhawks hockey, and they don't play it. We're recording this on Friday afternoon. They don't play again until Saturday night. This has been interminable. It has been really, really tough not to have them on like at all this week, hasn't it? Well, you also have the awful taste of the Nashville game in your mouth that you don't have the chance to get out now. Like, and it was the same thing with the game in Prague. They had their first game and they lost, and all you wanted to do was play again, and you got to wait a whole week. And this is the same situation. It's like I'm sure the players are feeling it more than anybody. Like, oh my god, can we just get on the ice? And please play these games so we can get that Nashville game out of our heads and, and move forward with the season. I I am so ready for the puck to drop, and I'm very excited about two games this weekend. Yeah, and it's two games against uh, teams that I would argue the Blackhawks should. Uh, they should probably be able to beat these teams that they're playing this week. They, this does start on Saturday night against the Los Angeles Kings. The Blackhawks are open. They can kind of replicate the success that they had against them on Sunday at the United Center. But... Perhaps more importantly than the game itself is who is most likely going to be on the ice, and that is none other than Adam Boquist. The 2018 first-round draft pick has been called up by the Blackhawks. You cannot imagine they would call him up not to play him. I am really excited to see him. I've been talking about it on the podcast for the last week or two that I think that he would benefit from being able to do some developing at the NHL level. The big question, of course is what the heck does it mean for a Blackhawks defensive rotation that's been getting a lot of uh, attention and some criticism lately? Well, that's the big question. And I think every sort of – every time I try to work this out in my head, 
the conclusion I reach is that Eric Gustafson will be the guy that sits. Look, he, he probably is the guy that deserved to sit ahead of Seabrook. Like, Seabrook's been bad, too, but at least the effort is there. With Gustafson, I'm not seeing anything. The other factor with that is, even if he was playing, air quotes, well or good or good enough, you still have a huge defensive liability with his game. And then bringing Adam Boquist up, having those two guys on the same you know, set of six, that's a little risky. So I think you're going to see Seabrook back in. I think you're going to see Boquist in. I think you're going to see Gustafson out. And I wonder if Gilbert will play or if Cuckoo will play. But I think you're going to see Seabrook and Boquist in on Saturday. And, that, and that's just my gut feeling. I don't really, it's not based on anything, but just logically, I don't know if it makes sense to keep Gustafson in a lineup when he really hasn't earned it. Gee, you sound a lot like I've sounded the last week or so, where I've basically been ready to send Eric Gustafson to a Goodwill location, <laughs> basically. I've been basically over not only his lack of production, but his seeming lack of giving a crap yeah. that he's not producing like I have seen nothing this season to indicate that the Blackhawks should even entertain the notion of re-signing him even if they could afford it which at this point I'd argue you can't afford to do it from both the financial and a performance standpoint but I completely agree with you I think Brent Seabrook slots back into the lineup on Saturday night I think that Jeremy Colladin whatever message he wanted to send about holding veterans accountable I think that Benching him in two consecutive games was probably a really good way of getting that message across loud and clear. But when push comes to shove, if you look at the eight defensemen that are on this roster right now, I see no compelling argument that Eric Gustafson is one of the top six defensemen in that group. I do see a compelling argument that Brent Seabrook fits into that picture. And so I agree with you that what I would do is I would slot Seabrook back in. I would obviously play Adam Boquist. I would leave Eric Gustafson on the bench probably so long that he ends up uh, starting to gather moss, I'm guessing would be a good uh, <laughs> time frame for that. And then I would probably do something where I would maybe alternate Slater, Cuckoo, and Dennis Gilbert. I don't think either one of them has played badly enough to come out of the lineup permanently, but I do think that they, they at least, you know, they can rotate, I think, a little bit. I think you can be a little bit flexible with that, and I think that's why they didn't make a – uh, corresponding roster move when they brought Boquist up because I think they probably envisioned something like that. Yeah, well, w- whatever happens, I'm really excited to see Boquist's game. And he hasn't been really lighting it up in Rockford. And I think maybe part of that is him focusing so much on playing solid defense. Scott Powers for The Athletic, I feel like we say this every podcast, but he did a great job in his piece today with some video evidence of the good and the bad of Adam Boquist. And Almost all the mistakes Boquist makes are mistakes of aggression. And I mentioned on the podcast a while back, talking to a scout, talking to a source, and they're they're sort of saying, you know, the concern with bringing up a young guy is that they're battling so hard to survive that they're not attacking. I think with Adam Boquist specifically, you're going to have to coach the attack out of him a little bit. It's just the way he plays, right? Mm. That's just the kind of player that Adam Boquist is. He's a guy who's aggressive. He's a guy with a lot of confidence. And he's going to take some chances. And um, it's it's more of like limiting when to take chances, knowing when to do it at the right time. And that's sort of the – it's not that he's unable to defend. It's that he's sometimes overly aggressive and will take a risk before he's got help, right? 
or before there's a forward back helping, or he leaves his other defenseman out to dry a little bit because he sees that opportunity to attack. As he plays, he will learn when to go and when to not, just like Duncan Keith had to do as he grew into the league, and all defensemen have to do. It takes time, but I think adding his element of speed, most importantly, and offensive confidence and prowess to the power play, which you have to assume he's going to be on the power play. Yeah, absolutely. It can only help. At this point, it can only help. It's not like there's anyone playing so well that you're like, oh, you can't sit him. There's only no one on the team I would make that argument about, save for maybe Calvin DeHaan. That's really it. And, you know, I I don't know. It's just it's been a, a tough year, and I don't think putting Boquist in there, even if he screws up once or twice, whoever he's in for probably would have done the same thing. <laughs> and probably would have done it with a lot less ability to learn from it in the future, right? Exactly. Um, I, I think that here's something that I'm going to go ahead and say, and I know that I, I get like uh, teased a little bit because I like to make hockey analogies with baseball and vice versa, but I really hope Jeremy Colleton handles uh, Adam Boquist the same way that Joe Madden handled Javier Baez. You don't want to coach the aggressiveness out of his game. Yes, occasionally it's going to cost you some goals. It's going to definitely be, you know, evident on tape of the game that he's made those mistakes. But at the same time, that aggressiveness and that willingness to seek out those opportunities to push the puck forward or to create an opportunity, whether it's in the offensive zone or maybe to grab the puck and to do so in the defensive zone, I think that that's a trait that this Blackhawks team just simply lacks. And I'm not sure if it's just because of the fact they don't have a guy with that kind of instinct or more likely, I think it's because they don't have guys that have the skill set to accomplish that once they decide to do it. So what I would say is that I would really like to see Boquist continue to make those kinds of like split second calculations and to think to himself, do I have an opportunity here to make an aggressive play and to create a scoring chance at the other end for my guys? And if he gets burned occasionally, don't coach that out of his game. Just allow him to learn from it because let's just be frank here. This season at this point with them calling up Boquist, it signals to me we're maybe starting to take at least a little bit of a development route to all of this instead of a strictly let's uh, make the playoffs after 82 games. Yes, and this leads nicely into the other big story this week, Kirby Doc staying with the team. And I wonder if now that the first month is in the books – if Stan Bowman and Jeremy Collin are looking at this thing as like, look, our best hope is that our top two prospects can come and make this team better. Because I think they're sort of realizing that even though they brought in some veterans with some character and some experience, they're not the sort of guys that are going to turn a team around or make a team a whole hell of a lot better. Yeah, it makes them deeper and probably more competitive on a night-to-night basis, but they need some star power. And Boquist has it and Doc has it. And I, I don't want to read too much into the fact that these announcements were made one day after the other, but they're, they've got to be feeling this a little bit. There's not a lot of buzz about the Hawks. The buzz that is happening is negative. And however you feel about John McDonough, you know that perception and attendance and those things matter to him. And at the same time, I think... Jeremy Cowden and especially Stan Bowman are feeling the heat of this a little bit for the first time. I feel like after that Nashville game, there was some real questions about Jeremy Cowden's grasp on this team 
and whether or not the team has sort of tuned him tuned him out. People said it to start because people will always find a way to rip a coach they don't like, right? But I think that Nashville game was the first evidence of, oh my God, this team is so outclassed right now. That, that Dude, I'm telling you, the first shift of that game, I thought, uh-oh, Nashville just looked faster, they looked stronger, they looked meaner, they looked more ready from the drop of the puck until the whistle blew. That was as bad of a game as we've seen in years, and I wonder if John McDonough from on high, not sort of mandating that they call these guys up, maybe that's part of it, or maybe like a gentle suggestion like, hey, maybe it would be smart of you to bring these prospects up, but it's a desperate, I think especially Boquist, smacks of desperation on and off the ice. Does it worry you that they're only calling him up in a last-ditch effort to make the postseason this year and not in an effort to assist in his development as an NHL player? Do you think that they're pushing him along too quickly? I know you had alluded to that in previous uh, podcasts and conversations. I'm curious where your uh, thoughts are as they make the announcement official that he's coming up for uh, Saturday's game. As excited as I am to see Adam Boquist, it feels too soon. It doesn't feel to me like he's ready. And hopefully I'm wrong, and I will be so glad to be wrong here. But it does feel like, did you have any indication at the end of last week that Adam Bocas would be called up this week? That did not even cross my mind. Didn't didn't register on my radar. The only thing I had was the hope that they would because I'm selfish. Exactly. I want to see it because I'm a fan. I want to see exciting young players play. But if I'm making a hockey decision... And I, I don't I don't know the answer to this, but my gut tells me that if it's purely a hockey decision, he's probably not ready. That's that's my initial thought. As much as I've like been beating this drum of replacing Gustafson with Boquist this season, I you know, the the rational person in me, the non lizard brain James, I will call him, he agrees with you that he hopes that this rushing Boquist to the big leagues isn't going to be or specifically to the professional game I should Mm -hmm. say that's a real risk that you run with blue liners and I know he looked he looked good to me in practices and in the preseason and I thought that he looked like he was picking up concepts well but I have to hope that the folks that are paid to know the answers to these questions about whether these guys are mentally and physically ready for the grind of an NHL season, I have to hope that their analysis and their opinions are rooted solidly and that those are, that they end up being right, that he's ready and that he's going to be able to come up and produce. And I'm hoping this isn't some last ditch Hail Mary to try to save Stan Bowman's job or Jeremy Colleton's job or whatever. Yeah, I agree with that. But like you said, I'm excited. And if you're excited and you'd like to order yourself an Adam Boquist jersey, number 27, if you don't know, hit up Triple Threat Sports, triplethreatsports.com. They've been our longtime sponsor. They will help you find the NHL jersey, NFL jersey. It'll look just like it looks on the ice or the field, any sport, any team. They'll hook you up. But if you've got a company or you've got a team that needs outfitting, you need some logo design, some polos for a work conference or some jerseys for softball, Triple Threat Sports has you there. 708-478-6090, triplethreatsports.com, or send Chris an email, chris at triplethreatsports.com. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. Yeah, man, I'm I'm really excited. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Saturday and Sunday. Um, 
if for nothing else, just to get the the, the Nashville game out of my head. But to see how Boquist is going to look in his debut and see how Doc is going to play now that he's not worried about being sent down, maybe he can play a little more instinctually or instinctively. I don't know what the correct word is. But I, I want to see how Doc does now that that pressure's off. Now that he knows he's here, how is he going to perform? How is he going to look? And uh, how is that going to change his game, if at all? Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. And I think that one of the things that's been really interesting to see with him that we had been talking about a little bit was whether or not the Blackhawks would end up sheltering him a little bit with the uh, road starts and the fact that they're on the road and teams can kind of dictate the players that he's going to go up against. I don't know if you saw in the Nashville game, but probably through the first period and a half or so of that game, Boquist had, I think, four shifts in the first, like, 35 minutes of the game. Like, they were barely using him. And then when that thing started to really turn and you really felt that Nashville was just going to kind of cruise to victory, then he was out there and ended up playing uh, 12 minutes and 43 seconds and even strength in that game. So I I think that it's really going to be interesting to see whether that was just a one-time thing because the Blackhawks were clearly getting outclassed or – if this is maybe going to be an indication that, hey, he's here for the long term now, let's turn him loose a little bit, see what he can do against some top competition, and then maybe, just maybe, my Swami hat that I was trying to wear the other day and saying that he might get some penalty kill time, maybe that starts coming up in the next couple of games. We'll see. Yeah, I, look, I'm open-minded to anything. I really just want to see – I want to see this team look different. And you mentioned just, you know, that game with Doc being an outlier. I hope that entire game was an outlier. You know, I I hope that's not the one that we look back on, or I hope that's when we look back on and say, wow, that was the low point of the season. Since then, they've been okay, or that was just kind of a weird game. But I feel like so far this season, the good games have been the exceptions. The ones where you, the game ends and you're like, wow, I felt pretty good about that one. Win or lose, I felt pretty good about it. And up until that Nashville game, you would have had three in a row. You had the win over the Kings. Then you had the game against the Capitals and the game against the Golden Knights where they played well but came up short. But then you throw this Nashville thing into it, and it changes your perspective on the entire – that game, to me, changed my entire opinion of the season. When I saw a game that bad, it really made me reevaluate my thoughts on this team completely. It really, it really did that much after they had played the game that they did against the Flyers. Um. Yes. I, huh. I, I don't. I that game was bad too. There's been a lot of bad games, but but the one against Nashville was probably the worst of this era of Blackhawks hockey. And there have been some worse scores, like games where like, oh, the goalie sucks and the team just can't get it together. There's some bad bounces. I'm talking about start to finish domination where you saw the Hawks trying to compete for the most part trying to compete and just being unable to compete that's I think why it felt different they Mm. could not get out of their own way there was one point in the game where Hope was on the couch working and I said Hope just a random moment I go look up at the TV and let's see how long it takes for the Blackhawks to get the puck and advance it not just like try to chip it out of the zone or ice it or whatever I mean get the puck, control it, and carry it out trying to create offense. Two and a half minutes passed before the Hawks were able to get the puck and advance it with a stick while they were in control of the puck. 
that could have happened nine, ten times during the course of that game. They never had the puck the entire game, despite trying to get it. John Weideman kept losing his voice describing what the Predators were doing, by the way. The he, would, he literally would sit there for two-minute stretches while Nashville had the puck, and like he would start to be kind of like losing it at the end a little bit, and then finally the Blackhawks would chip it out, and Troy Murray would come in with like a comment because it was just so, so one-sided. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous, man. Yeah, well, this analogy is for the older crowd, and I know you've seen Slapshot, but I don't know if you've seen it like 100 times like me. There's a scene <laughs> in the game where the Chiefs are getting killed, and their goalie, Denny Lemieux, like comes in for the intermission, and he's having like PTSD, where he's like just making saves that aren't happening, and they literally have the trainer has to like hold him down on the bench. That was that entire game for the entire team. The Hawks were just, oh my God, I, I don't know what's happening. Where I can't get the puck. I can't stop anything. It was horrible. That was as bad of a game as I've seen the Blackhawks play in 10 years. Woof. Yeah, I mean, what uh what else can you say? I, I mean, that yeah. That the, we're going to I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the game and kind of the uh the aftermath of it and what it could potentially mean going forward. I don't want to uh jump the gun, but looking at the uh Corsi numbers from that game, good <laughs> lord. Oh, I didn't dude, even bother. Oh, yeah, you you should because there is some uh there's some comedic gold in here if you're interested in hearing it. Why don't we do this? I know you've got some other uh horrible uh statistical information. We have to share so many bad stats today. We will share them all. Why don't we take a quick time out, but first let's tell our listeners about our friends at Chuck's Southern Coverage Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit Chuckscafe.com. We talk about them every week. The barbecue, the Cajun, the Mexican food the standard burger wings whatever you have a taste for even if you like all those things sometimes your tastes just change if you can't decide where to go go to chucks you're gonna find something you love the soups are great the appetizers are great make sure you go to chuckscafe.com and check their daily specials and if you like to drink beer they've got you covered a huge craft beer selection so go to chuckscafe.com go visit them in darien and burbank and when you do tell them the madhouse podcast sent you We'll be right back with more on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay Zawoski and James Navo with you here. Happy Friday. Have a, hope you have a great weekend ahead. want to tell you about our newest sponsor, the Barrel Club, 4910 West 111th Street in Oak Lawn. They are our newest sponsor. Uh, a lot of Madhouse listeners have gone and checked out the Barrel Club, and we greatly appreciate it. Everyone's raved about it. The food there is fantastic. Try the steaks, try the seafood, try the pierogies. Pro tip, the pierogies are outstanding. Not something you typically see on a uh, a nicer uh, restaurant. I, I don't know what you call it, like semi-formal kind of a restaurant menu. The pierogies are outstanding, and it tells you everything you need to know about the Barrel Club. Yeah, it's a nice meal, but you're going to feel at home there too. You know, It's not too stuffy. Go have a great meal and try the NHL flight. Guy Lafleur's Canadian Whiskey. Eddie Belfour's, <coughs> that's good. Eddie Belfour's pecan wood aged whiskey made in Texas and the 99 brand Gretzky ice cask whiskey. All of that at Barrel Club. Go to Bar- go to BarrelClubIllinois.com to join their Spirit of the Month Club. James, you've got some ugly numbers for us. Yeah, and you're probably going to need to go to Barrel Club to uh, rinse them out of your brain once we start talking about them. So give me a barrel that was a very and a straw. appropriate read. Yeah, I need a barrel and a straw stat. 
<laughs> All right. So we're going to play a game, Jay Zawoski. You said you did not look at the numbers after the game because you didn't want to ruin I didn't want to throw your life, essentially, right? Correct. Okay. How many Blackhawk players do you think had a core C above 50% for the game? Zero. You would be correct. There were zero. Well, how many of them had a, just for fun, how many of them had a, a Fenwick above 50%? Um, one. Who was it? Um, I'm just totally guessing here. Um, Calvin DeHaan. It was Alex DeBrincat. Oh, yeah. He actually was okay. At a 53.8% Fenwick in the game. And he also had the highest course. He had a 47%. There were four Blackhawks, Jay, that were above 40% on the night for Corsi. Good Lord. It was DeBrincat. And then do you want to try to guess the three others, or do you just want me to tell you? Yeah, go for it. I have no idea. Slater Cuckoo, Dylan Strom, and Eric Gustafson. That was it. And by the way, your guess of Calvin DeHaan, 21.43% Corsi in the Ooh. game. That yes. is that's ungodly bad. But not as ungodly bad as Alex Nylander, who had a 17.6%. Oh, dear God. Three chances for, 14 against. Sorry, Yikes. three shot attempts for, 14 shot attempts against while he was on the ice at even strength in that game. That, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I literally am looking at this, and my brain cannot wrap around how bad these numbers are. Yeah, it that's is abysmal. unbelievable. I don't know if I've ever seen Corsi numbers this bad. And just in case our viewer or our listeners don't really get the concept of Corsi, it's it's real simple. It's just the number of shot attempts that your team has while they're on the ice and how many they allow while they're on the ice. And this is at even strength. And so 50% is your break-even point, obviously. So a 17% Corsi is really, really, really bad. That's almost impossible. It's like you almost literally have to try to be that bad. The, well, they tried. I, I do want to also point out that the Predators had a 70% Corsi in the second period of that game. That's pretty good. That is and then in the third period when they were winning and ostensibly score effect should have started to swing things a little bit more in favor of the Blackhawks, Predators still outcoursed them 60% to 40%. At no point <laughs> during that game did I feel the Hawks were a threat to score. No, I didn't either. I, I felt zero. I, literally, like I think there was once or twice there. I was like, oh, they might have a D up. Oh, that, that went away. Well, and then you've got Pecorine who's having his best season. Or one of his best seasons. He's been unbelievable this year. That's a yeah. really, really good team. Yeah. Okay, so I did miss this. I don't know if you saw it. Did Pecorine, like, talk some trash about the Blackhawks after the game? He said something along the lines of it was the easiest win he's had all year. But I think he ah. meant it more in a compliment to his teammates and how well they played as opposed to, a, like, a knock at the Blackhawks. I did see that he had complimented Robin Leonard, who, by the way, did actually look good in that game. Dude, the fact that the score of that game was 3 nothing Was all because of him. Abs- that game could have been 7, 8, 9 nothing, and I still don't think I could have found it in me to blame Robin Leonard for it. He was unbelievably great in that game. There was only one guy he couldn't stop. Yeah, Nick Benino. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Nick Benino. You gotta oh. love the natural hat trick being the only three goals that are scored in the game. I love that. 
I don't want to talk about this game anymore. Can we not talk about this game anymore? We can talk about something else, but I don't know if it's going to be any better. Oh, boy. Okay, it sounds like you've got something specific you want to talk about now. Our good friend, Blackhawks Breakdown. Storm Mensing, apparently, the name. I did not realize that Blackhawks Breakdown was a real person. I thought it was just an idea in our heads. What's the name? Storm Mensing. That's amazing. That's a great name, That's right? That's the greatest name of all time. It's it's such a, like, that could be a hockey name. That yes. could be That could be a rugby player name. Like, what the heck? Like, that could work in so many different contexts. I love it. Storm However, Mensing. Love it. I did not love what Storm Mensing had to say about Jonathan Taves yesterday. All right, let's hear it. Um, didn't like accompany this with a graph or anything like that. So this wasn't like a follow-up to anything. One alarming note to add to opponents dominating play when Taves is on the ice this season is that he's been deployed mostly in the offensive zone with the third and fourth lines taking defensive zone faceoffs. Now I looked to see, I was like, what's he talking about? Like what's going on here? So according to hockey reference, which I, obviously this is kind of, you know, you take or leave these stats. They, they don't necessarily, I'm not sure how accurate they are, but Jonathan Tabes this season is at a 49% Corsi and is at a 46.1% Fenwick for the season. Jonathan Taves has zero even strength goals this season, and his only assist of the year was on an empty netter. He is taking 54.8% of his zone starts in the offensive zone. That is really troubling. I mean, that's look, when a guy who has a track record like Taves struggles, typically when you dig into these numbers, you end up feeling better about what you find. You say, all right, well, you know, he's had tough matchups or he's had a bunch of defensive zone starts, and those were valid excuses for Taves earlier in his career. He was, because there wasn't really another option, drawing the toughest offensive matchups. Now they're almost wanting him to focus on offense only, and he can't do it. That's Mm -hmm. a huge concern. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, that like, just looking at the numbers, I was kind of thinking his offensive zone starts would be a little bit higher than that. But then I realized when you're comparing it to what he used to have to do, like when he used to have to be in the defensive zone, like all the time, good Lord, man. Yeah. Well, the whole team's in the defensive zone. He's being sheltered big time. Well, the whole team's in a defensive zone all the time. So (laughs) it's a fair point, but he's really being sheltered this season. And that's not something you want out of a guy who's a former Selkie winner. Well, you want, him, you want him to be able to take a face off wherever he is and end up potentially creating something out of it or making a stop. And he just hasn't been doing it. Look, and, and as much as we all love Jonathan Taves and we all should Hall of Famer, he'll have his number retired. He's won three Stanley Cups and a million other awards. Dude's making ten and a half million dollars right now. He's a detriment to the team. And even when he had his down years, I don't think you and I ever said He's a detriment to the team. Right now, he's hurting the team. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know if he's hurt or if he's sick or if it's both or whatever. But whatever Eat it is. some it, meat, hippie. Well, seriously, whatever it is, it needs to change. I don't know. But, like, you know, we I've also been told he's, like, having trouble with Cowden's defensive system. Like, what's going on? For a guy who's praised as, like, one of the smartest, most intelligent hockey players in a generation, he sure as hell is having a hard time figuring things out. 
I don't know. It's very frustrating. And if there is something wrong, shut him down. He's not helping at all right now. I I don't know. It's it's very troubling. It's been a month. It's not like it's a week or two weeks, and it's a slow start. If it was you know two weeks and he had two points, you're like okay, you know eh, he'll get some luck. It's been a damn month of this season already, and he's got two points, zero at even strength. <sighs> and look, people are now like, well, you know, Jeremy Cowan doesn't know what he's doing. I promise you, whatever Jeremy Cowden's system is, it's not telling Jonathan Taves to suck ass at hockey. <laughs> are you sure about that? Well, look, it's the same thing that had them on a 100-point pace last season, right? It's the same system, maybe a little more tweaked because they had a whole offseason to prepare it. But, like, nothing in this should be this big of a challenge. Mm. I-, I just don't understand why, look, with Kane, I can see. Like, uh, he's kind of skating at, like, 80%. And his just natural skill and ice time is helping him get the points. But like with Taves, I just see a guy losing battles, slow to the corners. Not like he's not trying to get there, but he just can't. And that is really scary. Yeah, there's a lot of miles on that body. You're starting to wonder if maybe there's a little bit of that catching up to him. Well, there definitely is. There's no doubt about that. And part of it is, you know, the natural decline of a player in his 30s. But at 31... You'd think you'd have a little more time left with Jonathan Taves than this. You would think. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, he's been in the NHL for what? This is his 11th or 12th season. But still, like, that's – you'd still think you have some uh, tread left on those tires. I did – okay. Well, hang I, on. I found real quick, something, Jay. One more thing real quick. Oh, okay, sure. I the, wanted to try to – we're going to try to make this a little bit more positive, but uh, I think, Jay, you should make this final point. Yeah, but if, if we're talking about a potential injury for Taves, then – when Keith gets a maintenance day, and who else has gotten maintenance days? Shaw got one. Uh, a couple other guys. Uh, Zach Smith has gotten some maintenance days. If that's the case, if Taves is hurt, then don't let don't let him practice. That tells me that it's not an injury. He's just struggling. That to me is terrifying. Yeah, it's not good. And I know that Taves has gone through some of these stretches before where he's had a lot of trouble putting the puck in the net and his look kind of like he's been struggling a bit. It's never been this prolonged and it's never been this apparent and bad. Like nope. this is definitely unprecedented territory for Jonathan Taves. Well, you know what is good? I know you're about to get to some good news. You know what else is good? Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois. Uh, Go there, rabbit. try their amazing beers. Uh I have not been and yesterday was Halloween, which is one of their big days of the year. Uh, and I've just been feeling like complete butt for the last two weeks. I cannot tell you how many times I've had to turn off my microphone and cough during this podcast. It just won't go away. But as soon as I feel better, I'm going to Rabbit to see what's on tap. Hopefully they got the Hexed or the Dripping Teat, all the great beers they have at Rabbit. Go check them out. I'm telling you, if you like craft beer, even if you're not a big craft beer person, I know a lot of people are turned off by the crazy hop levels in a lot of craft beers. You will find something at Rabbit you like. The Hexed is a, is a blackberry apricot brew. It's amazing. There's so much good stuff at Rabbit. So go there. They're on Brett's Drive in Homewood, right behind the Home Depot on Halstead. You can't miss them. Rabbitbrewing.com. The time has come for you to drink mythological-level craft ales. Visit the Southland legend, Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois. A uh, little bit of additional good news just because of that. I made it through sober October and did not have a single drink. Good so for I you. think that uh 
I think cracking open a uh, rabid brewing beer might be in order tonight. Well, I've got your manticore here, and I've got your uh, your your dwarves of doom. Everything's ready to go when you're ready to come pick it up. Eventually, I'm gonna have to do that. I didn't want to tempt you. Ah, you know. that's I I respect that about you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, so I don't know if this is necessarily good news, but it's interesting news. Did you see the article in the Athletic this week that Jonathan Taves had come up with an idea to reimagine the NHL schedule? I did see that. Yes. Uh, for those of you who did not get to read the uh, post, I believe it was Mark Lazarus. Yeah. And who's the other gentleman that helped him with it? Don, is it Lecision? It's something like that. Yeah. Um, they came up with an idea, essentially, that would end up slashing travel massively for teams, including the Blackhawks. They would fly, I think it was like 15,000 fewer miles in the year under this system. And the way that they did it, was instead of having a team come in for one game and then leave and then come back later in the season, they had it set up to where you would do series. Like, I'm looking at the schedule right now that they came up with for the Blackhawks. Their first three games would be against the Colorado Avalanche at home. They would go on a road trip. They would play Calgary for a game, play Winnipeg for three games, and then uh, Edmonton for two. So you have it is like a seven game or it's six game road trip, but you don't have to go back to Calgary, Winnipeg or Edmonton for the rest of the season after that. And those are all fairly close to each other geographically. So it's not a huge uh, travel lift. Excuse me. And then they also like reconfigured it slightly where you would play your divisional opponents six times. You'd play your conference opponents three times and then go back to cross-conference games only being one game a season. So there are some flaws to the system, namely that they didn't take into account the NBA needing arenas for games like the Blackhawks share with the Bulls, et cetera. They also, I believe, did not – they also mentioned that, hey, there are going to be some seasons when Sidney Crosby doesn't come to the United Center or Alex Ovechkin doesn't come here or – the Blackhawks don't go to Boston and they only play, you know, one game against all of their original six rivals that are in the East. Like there are definitely flaws to this system, but it looks a lot more player friendly. And I'm curious, a, what you think of it as a whole and B what you think specifically of the idea of playing series of games instead of single games against opponents. I am, uh, I, I can't say if I'm for or against it right away. I do. My initial thought was I really like it because first of all, the idea of like at the end of the season, you've got three against Dallas and three against St. Louis and, and you need to make up some ground and you have that opportunity. I love that. Obviously the travel will be better for players and Jonathan Tay's big concern, the environment, which is a worthy thing to worry about. It makes sense, and I think it will help the players overall just kind of remain healthier, not having to go from city to city to city every night. The NBA thing can be worked out because even if it's a three-game series, you're not going to play them three nights in a row. Correct. So, But at the same time, that poses a bit of a problem because then you're in Colorado for seven days or eight days, and that's really a long way to be away from home. Which, so, I mean, you're you're mostly away from home that long anyway, and you're bouncing from city to city. Well, I'm looking at the schedule here, and in in, 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 uh, this is November. The longest the Hawks are away from home 
is let's see they got to la on wednesday right wednesday thursday saturday they yeah so they flew out from nashville tuesday night and got to la so they'll fly back to san to from san jose tuesday really late tuesday night which is actually wednesday morning land wednesday morning then her home then her way that's a week in california it's a week in california exactly that's nice but like I don't know. I th- that would be the one concern I would have is like how long of big chunks will they be away? And that could be worked through. The right. other thing is like if you've already exhausted your series against a team, let's say like Patrick Kane misses a week and misses then six games or five games against division rivals, that's tough. But it could happen at any time. So mm-hmm. those are my two big kind of hangups with it, but... If I had to choose one, I would at least give it a try for a season or two. See how it goes. Yeah, I think the the element of not like playing every team at least once home and away, I kind of am not digging that idea just because I do. I think there is something special to having a team come in. Like even if it's just once a season, Blackhawk fans get to see Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin. And obviously, like it's different now because you can watch so many more games on TV. But there is something to seeing an electric talent like that in person. Like, I definitely think that you lose something when you don't have that. And I know the NHL used to do that. And then they switched to the current system that allows you to see those guys every single season. So that that part of it does give me some pause. I think the thing, and this might be slightly controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. Who cares? The thing that I actually do think is good about this system and it's something that many people may not like I kind of like the series idea because you've seen it happen in the playoffs where you play a couple games against a team and what starts to happen you start to kind of get to know their idiosyncrasies you get to know their strategies a little bit there's adjustments that are made and it kind of is this evolving thing and then aside from that stuff you have the whole like running feud thing too, where you get into like a, you know, fisticuff battle with Tyler Sagan in game one of a three game set against the stars by game three, you're probably trying to kick his ass. Yeah. It like will... that, that could really, I think do something good for some of those rivalries that the NHL has been trying for a long time to kind of foster and hasn't really been successful in doing. I think that could be a really good tool to kind of make that happen so aside from like the travel benefits and then the obviously the strategy of the evolving uh series aspect of it that potential development of hatred is kind of something that's really interesting to me well and that's something the league has been that's the whole purpose of this new playoff format is they want to grow these rivalries and it hasn't really had the the effect they probably thought it would um this is a good way to do it in season i'm totally open to the idea and I don't know why, like, why can't you just try it for a year and see how Bill it goes? Bill Daly seemed really opposed to it, of by course the way, did, when they, in, they interviewed him in the piece. Yeah, because he's old and he's out of touch. Like, everybody who's making decisions for the NHL, try something new. Give it a shot. What does it hurt? What does it hurt? And look, if two people can come up with this idea, a committee of people and a computer can come up with a way to perfect this, Right. The, the groundwork is laid. I think that I think it's a great idea, and I think it's worth giving a shot for a season or two. I am inclined to agree with you. I think that honing it, uh, taking some of the rougher edges off of it, like you mentioned, 
the fact that on the Blackhawks schedule here that I'm seeing, they have a run where they play 11 out of 12 games on the road. That's kind of rough, but right. to make up for that, they do have an eight game homestand right before that. And then they play, I think it's 11 of their final 12 games at home. So there is some give and take there and every team's going to have to go through that, but every team's also going to benefit from the decreased travel. And that could potentially, it would be a really good thing, especially for Western conference teams. When you have Eastern conference teams, like the flyers who are within like a hour, hour and a half car ride from like three of their divisional rivals. Yeah, I like the idea. I think it's super creative, and I think in a league like the NHL that needs some creative ideas, uh, they should be open-minded to anything. And I hope that even though Bill Daly sort of rejected this initially, they'll give it a look and they'll give it some thought and, and at least yeah. consider, like, even if that idea specifically doesn't work, what what's a way that it could work? What's a way to make this thing better for the players? All right. We'll, we'll post the link to this, yeah. by the way, on our uh, social media channels. I know The Athletic is a paid platform, so hopefully we gave you at least a good enough idea of what it is. But we also would encourage you to subscribe to The Athletic. It's great stuff. Absolutely the best Blackhawks coverage going with Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers. They do a fantastic job. Well, right. best besides us, of course. Well, yeah, duh. I mean, come on. That's obvious. Anyway, <laughs> that's going to do it for the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast for today. Want to tell you guys about our friends at Marishka's in Crest Hill, 604 Theater Street. They've been there since 1933, family-owned and operated. The poor boys, the steaks, the chops, the seafood. They've got a great craft beer menu as well. A lot of people posting about Marishka's this week. It's that time of year, man. Fall, you want these hearty foods? Marishka's is the place to go. Visit marishka's.com or facebook.com slash marishka's. They're closed only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July. And Thanksgiving, so check them out. We also want to thank our other sponsors, Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 708-478-6090. Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois. The time has come for you to drink mythological level craft ales. Visit the Southland legend, Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois. The Barrel Club in Oakland, 4910 West 111th Street. Go to BarrelClubIllinois.com to join their Spirit of the Month Club. And Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Go to chuckscafe.com as my voice continues to fade. Going to wrap this thing up. James, thanks for joining me today. Let's have a good Saturday and Sunday game. Good luck to Adam Boquist in the NHL debut. And James and I will be with you early next week for another edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.